No clapping. No clapping. How's everybody doing? That's good. So we're uh, doing summer in the Psalms, and I have good news. Uh, next week, we have a guest speaker, Steve Weem. Some of you guys know Steve, so he'll be weird. My goal was sort of to get some different people to share, and so Steve and Kathy were in the area, and so I asked Steve if he would preach the word for us. And so if you want to be looking ahead, Psalm 145 is the psalm Steve will be preaching from. This week, though, as I began to think about which psalm I would look at, I decided to make it simple. Uh, We looked at Psalm 24 last week. Why not just go to Psalm 25, right? Now, Psalm 24, when understood in the light of the New Testament, if you were here last week, helps us see our inability, because of our unrighteousness, uh, to enter the presence of a holy God. But it also gives us hope and joy, knowing that through faith in Christ, we can be made righteous. And therefore, we can be ushered into the presence of God by the King of glory, Jesus Christ. So Psalm 24 was, is, uh, gives us a deep theological uh, foreshadowing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in Psalm 25... There's also a hint of the gospel. In, in verse 5, David says, For you are the God of my salvation. In verse 6, he, he cries out, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. Verse 7, Remember not the sins of my youth. And, and I could go on. Psalm 25 gives us an understanding of God's salvation, His love, His uh, mercy, His forgiveness. But that's not what our focus will be on today. Instead, we're going to focus on a a very practical subject. Not uh, that God's love and mercy and forgiveness are not practical. They are. But in Psalm 25, we also find uh, uh, great insight, I believe, into a Spirit-inspired David on how we, from a Spirit-inspired David, on how we are to seek guidance in our lives. There probably isn't a more practical thing for the uh, Christians to understand. How to understand what God wants for them. How to know the will of God. Because as we all know, uh, life is full of decisions, right? Different paths to take, different roads to choose from. Robert Frost, the road left, you know, the, the diverging roads. Which one should I go? He chose the road less traveled. Some, uh, there are some small decisions, some medium, some big, you know, some huge. I mean, what socks should I wear? Who should I marry? Different decisions, right? Some are straightforward. Just wear the white socks, okay? While others can boggle the mind. There are times when we're not sure what to do. Uh, we're not sure where to go. Right now in my life, I don't have any huge mind-boggling decisions to make. But every day I'm faced with uh, small, medium, even some big decisions, many of which are part of my job as the the pastor of this church. What should we do or not do to grow our church? What ministry should we pursue? Who's going to speak at our missions conference in August? By the way, last Sunday of August, put it on your calendar, uh, missions conference. I think we'll probably have 
something the Saturday night before, then we'll have the missions conference on Sunday, and we'll share in lunch together. So get that on your calendar. Anyway, who's going to speak there? I got to figure that out. Which psalm should I preach on? You know, I just went to Psalm 25 this week. And what should be the next sermon series after Psalms? All these decisions. Now, fortunately, I don't have to make these decisions on my own. I get input from, from Pastor Brian, from the elders, and of course from my lovely wife, Christina. Usually I just do what she says. That makes it simple. No. The point is, in my life, decisions, uh, there are decisions to make. And of course, uh, I'm not unique. We all face even daily decisions. And for most of us, the fact that we're here at church or even watching online says that we want to make godly decisions. Who wants to make godly decisions? Show of hands in their life. Okay, great. Well, you've come to the right place this morning. Because in Psalm 25, we find David in need of God's guidance. He wants to do what God wants him to do, so he cries out to the Lord. And so as we look at his words, we're given truths about, uh, truths about God that will help us seek his guidance. So this morning, I'm, I'm really going to cover two main things. We'll spend most of our time looking on how God gives guidance. Uh, but first, I want us to look at the need for God's guidance. When did... When do, when do we need God's guidance? When do you need God's guidance? Well, you could say all the time, right? In every aspect of our lives. It should be commonplace for the Christian to seek to know and do the will of God. But there are times when our need becomes more pressing. David was in the midst of one of those times when he wrote Psalm 25. We're not sure of the exact circumstances uh, of his writing of the psalm, but he was clearly in some trouble, some distress. Psalm 25 is what is known as a psalm of lament. David is lamenting. He's crying out to God for help. In this case, uh, he's crying out for guidance during these difficult circumstances of life. He desperately needs to know God's ways, his paths, his truth, his instruction. Why? Because he's struggling with issues, with, with stuff in his life. Issues that, when faced, call for God's help to navigate through. We don't, again, we don't know what exactly David was facing, and we probably aren't facing the same issues as David, but we all have issues, right? And we all can relate to the emotions that these issues pr produce. And therefore, like David, we need God's guidance. We need God's guidance first uh, when we're afraid. Fear can potentially produce some bad decisions uh, to just react, to run, to hide, to retreat. David is afraid for several reasons. Verse 2, Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. David's enemies want to put him to shame. They want to uh, come over, exalt over him. Ah, you blew it there, David. You are not doing what you should be doing. They want to put him down. So he's afraid. He's afraid that he'll lose his reputation. He'll look stupid, if you will. Also, David's afraid because his life's in danger. Verse 19, consider how many are my foes. 
and with what violent hatred they hate me. David is, is hated and they, want, they have violent intents for him. David's enemies, his foes, want to do violence to him. And he's afraid. He's not sure what to do. He needs God's guidance. And when we're afraid for any reason, whether it's our life's in danger or, or something else, when our minds are, are telling us to turn and run and hide, we too need God's guidance. Maybe you're afraid to uh, just let people know you follow Jesus. You're afraid to share your faith, to tell someone you know about, about the Lord. Maybe you're afraid uh, this will cause you to lose your reputation. Uh, those, the religious wacko or something. And you need guidance. You need the Lord to guide you in the best way to approach and share with the people in your lives. When we're afraid, we need God's guidance. And second, we need God's guidance when we are lonely. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely, David says, and afflicted. For whatever reason, David finds himself uh, alone, afflicted, depressed even. No one to turn to, no one to bear his soul to, to share his problems with, no faithful counselors by his side. He needs more than ever God's guidance. When others forsake us, when we're alone, afflicted, when it seems that no one understands, uh, no one understands what we're going through, we need God's presence and we need his guidance. Also, we need God's guidance when we are guilty. At least three times, David mentions his struggle with guilt because of his sin. Verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Verse 18, consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. David remembers the sins of his youth. He, he admits that even now he's guilty of sin. So in the middle of, of all his fear and loneliness... The trouble is worsened by the guilt of his sinful heart. David is plagued by his own sin. And he needs God's forgiveness and his guidance to overcome. And when we suffer, suffer from guilt of our own sin, we need God's forgiveness and his guidance to help us overcome, to, to not continue in our sin, to set us on a new path, to direct us in the right, the righteous way, to God. We need to pray, Lord, guide me in the right things to do, the right ways to respond, the right way to escape the sin which so easily besets me. So we need God's guidance when we feel guilt. And finally, and most obviously, we need God's guidance when we're confused. When you're afraid and lonely and guilty as David was, it's not unusual to become confused. Confused about life, uh, to, to, to be stressed out, really, you know, to not know what to do, where to go. Verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. David feels his trouble in his heart. The, the, the pain is growing. He's distressed. He's stressed out because he doesn't know what to do. He's confused. What is the will of God? Where should I go? What should I do? No path seems right. I'm, 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 I'm unsure. David was afraid, alone, guilty, and confused. He desperately needs God's guidance. And in Psalm 25, in his difficult circumstance, he cries out to God for help. And by examining David's cries, 
his words, his, his prayers really, we can come to understand, and this is our second point, the nature of God's guidance. How does God guide his people? And it's when we see how God, uh, how God gives guidance that we're able to seek guidance from him. We need to know how he gives it in order to seek it. Now, some would say that God gives guidance through such things as dreams or visions or a voice in your head or that God will guide you with some kind of sign to point the way. And I would never say that God has not and does not guide in this way. But I can say that, that these are not the normal ways that God gives guidance. In Scripture, these seem to be reserved for a unique time, special circumstances. And in fact, there's no record that David, the author of the, this and many other Psalms, the king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, there's no record that he ever received guidance from the Lord through a dream, a vision, or some miraculous sign. So how did God guide David's life? And more importantly, at least for us, how does God guide our lives? Well, that's what I want us to see in Psalm 25. But before we get there, David, David focuses really on one main thing in Psalm 25, and we'll get to that third. I'm going to give you two other uh, important aspects, foundational really aspects, especially the first one, of seeking God's guidance. It's sort of in the backdrop of, of David, and we'll see that as well, but it's not actually mentioned in this psalm. Let me briefly mention these two. Uh, first and foremost, we need to know that God guides guides through his word, through his word. This is really, a, hopefully, a no-brainer, right? If you want God's guidance, if you want to know what God wants you to do in your life, then read, study, memorize, meditate on his word. This is where we find direct commands, teaching, instruction on how to live your life according to God's will. If you were uh, here for Brian's message on Psalm 1, you, you know this. You know that a man is blessed, and that blessing certainly includes guidance, when his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Also, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Through his word, God lights our path. He gives guidance to our lives. And even though uh, we aren't spending a lot of time here, I want us to know that this is the most important, the foundational way to know the will of God. If you want to hear a word from the Lord, have you ever heard somebody say that, I want a word from the Lord? Well, look, he's got a, there's a whole book full of them. Pick it up. Read it. In seeking God's guidance, we must never ignore the clear guidance provided in his word. It's our first and most important stop in discerning God's will for our lives. And it's the standard way, all other guidance, uh, other guidance, the, sta the standard for all other guidance we receive. One thing we can be sure of, God will never guide you in a direction or action that's contrary to his written word. Also, and I Hope this is clear, but you see it all the time demonstrated. I don't know if, if, if it's ever, if the Bible's ever in a movie or TV, it's like, 
Oh, I need to know what to do, and I need to, oh, let's pull out the Bible, okay, and point here. And uh, Judas went out and hanged himself. Oh, that, what is that supposed to mean for me? Oh, okay, you go and do likewise, you know. You know, this is not the way to get the will of God from the Word of God. It's not randomly, I didn't really point to those things here. I had that written down already. It's a pretty standard joke. You might have heard it before. Anyway, the, the, knowing the will of God from His Word is looking at it, studying it, understanding what it means, not some random flipping open the Bible or letting the wind blow to the right pages. All right? Second way. First way, the Word of God. Second way, through human counsel. This is uh, also not specifically mentioned in Psalm 25. We see this mainly taught in the Proverbs. Proverbs 11.14 says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors there is safety. God can use godly people in our lives to give counsel or guidance. I've received personally great guidance from many people in my life, through people I know personally, through sermons, through books written by wise Christians, However, the problem with human counsel is we need to choose the right humans to get counsel from, right? In a sense, we need God's guidance, His wisdom to direct us to the right counselors. So briefly, we've seen these first two ways that God guides. Through the Bible, through His Word, which is uh, the first place we should go for guidance. And through the counsel of others, which we need to be discerning about. But what about situations where the Word of God is uh, silent, so to speak? Or human counsel is unavailable, unreliable, or contradictory? What if you're thinking about uh, moving out of California, as many people have recently? And some people are saying to you, you need to stay, you need to help fight the problems we faced in this state. And others are saying, you need to get out. You can't allow your family to be raised in this environment. Plus, I'm pretty sure there's nothing in God's Word specifically about moving, period, or moving from California. So what do you do? Well, unfortunately, most Christians just do what they want without even considering what God might want. But I believe that the Bible, including what we read in Psalm 25, teaches that in the absence of clear guidance from God's Word, the normal way God guides is through a renewed mind. Through a renewed mind. We'll see this in Psalm 25 again and again. We'll get to that in a second. But it's clearly stated, and I want us to see it clearly in the New Testament. This is what the Apostle Paul specifically says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you will discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says, don't do what the world does. Don't do what the culture around you does. That would be stupid. He doesn't say that. I did. But instead, be transformed by God. And that transformation takes place when God through His Word, always the Word, and through His Spirit, renews your mind. The word mind in the Greek basically refers to the part of you that thinks and reasons and understands and makes decisions. Your decider. 
And this includes your heart or your feelings. It's not your mind in opposition to your heart. It's your mind that is informed by your heart. And it's when our minds are transformed, renewed by God, that we're able to discern His will. We're able to understand His guidance for our lives. Because when God renews our minds, He is in effect sinking our minds with His mind. I didn't think of this, but that's like the Vulcan mind meld, you know? My mind, too, no. We won't go there. I have a different analogy. Does anybody uh, still sync their music from their computer to their phone? Anybody do that anymore? I used to do it. I haven't done it in a while. I think I just listened to what's online. But used to, before you had all this music that you could just access, we would sync the music on our computer onto our phone or our iPod back in the olden days. The music that is on the computer is copied onto the phone. It becomes like the computer in that it can play the same tunes, right? And in a similar way, but much greater, when our minds are renewed by God, we become like Him. We can know and play the same songs He does. We think more like Him. So when we face decisions with a renewed mind, we're able to discern, to sense, to know the best direction to take because God has given us an understanding of who He is. He's given us an understanding of what He desires. And what this means, and we need to get this, is seeking God's guidance, knowing God's will, is not primarily asking God for guidance in a specific situation. It's being the kind of person who has a renewed mind who is in sync with God. Have you ever watched a a TV show or movie when one of the characters uh, prays for guidance? I don't know what to do. Usually the prayer begins something like this. God, I know I haven't prayed in years, but if you're really there... I could sure use a sign to know what to do in this situation. And of course, the writers make sure that some subtle sign occurs and everything works out. So it seems like this kind of prayer for guidance is, is the way to go. But that's not the case. Hollywood has no clue about seeking God or his guidance. Okay, everybody got that? I'm sad to say my favorite movie does this quite well right there in front. George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life. It's not my favorite movie, my favorite Christmas movie. You know, I'm not a praying man, Jimmy Stewart says, but I need to know what to do, God. And, you know, God comes through. He sends him a whole angel there. And so, but that's not how it works, in case you're wondering. Frank Capra is not the guy to follow for your theology, okay? He he produced It's a Wonderful Life. You guys, you guys with me? Some of you are old enough to remember this, right? All right. Seeking God's guidance is really seeking to have your mind, yourself, who you are, transformed and renewed by Him so that you can know what He desires. Seeking God's guidance is really, at, at the core, it's seeking God. Seeking to be like God, to be transformed by God. When we know God we will know God's will. Make sense? So what does that look like? 
Well, I hope we know it's not praying, Lord, I know I haven't talked to you in a while, but I've been given this job opportunity and I sure want to know what to do. Should I keep my current job or take this new job? Please give me a sign, a dream, a vision, so I'll know what to do. That's not it. Instead, seeking God's guidance looks like what David prays in Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. This is really the heart of this song. David prays, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. David is not asking God to tell him exactly what to do in a specific situation. He's asking God to affect, in effect, to renew his mind so that he'll know the ways, the truths, the paths of the Lord. He wants God to change his way of thinking so he can know God and therefore know God's guidance in his life. So back to the job illustration. If your mind is being renewed by God, then you can evaluate from God's perspective which job you should take or not take Is it just about the money? Well, the Bible has some things. God has some things to say about that. Is it about just providing for your family? Well, God has some things to say about that. Is it about loyalty to your current employer? Is it about the ministry you could have in this new place or the ministry you'd be leaving in this old place? God will guide you through your renewed mind. John Piper puts it this way, Divine guidance is not the quest for messages but the quest for holiness. Guidance is the product not of ecstatic heights, but of spiritual depth. Guidance comes to those who are in the process of syncing up with God. They're becoming more holy because He is holy. And they're growing in the depth of their relationship with Him, knowing Him and knowing His will. And that's what we see throughout Psalm 25. We see a quest, not for messages, but for holiness. We see not ecstatic heights. Okay, give me that vision, that dream, that sign, but spiritual depth. I want to know you, God. We see the marks of of what a renewed mind looks like. I believe Psalm 25 contains what uh, I'm calling the marks of a renewed mind. And the first mark we see is a trusting mind. David in Psalm 25 was not sure about the will of God in a a certain situation. But he, with all his heart, trusted God. He opens the psalm with these words, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I'm coming to you, God. O my God, in you I trust. I trust you with this. I'm I'm not coming to the world I'm coming to you, Lord. Lord, I know you've got my back. I can trust you. Why? Because God had proven himself trustworthy. In verse 6, David says, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. God is always merciful, always shows his steadfast love. This is true in David's life and all of his people. David trusted in the Lord because he knew God was merciful and loving. And in verses 7 and 8, he says, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. David trusted in the Lord because he knew God was 
forgiving, loving, and good. He knew God wanted what was best for him. You know, when you go to get advice from someone, you want to be sure that they don't have any ulterior motives, right? That they're not in it for themselves. You want a person that really loves you, a person that wants what's best for you, a wise person who wants what's best for you in all circumstances, and that is God. David knew that God's forgiveness and goodness enables him to give instructions, guidance, even to sinners like him, like us. Trusting in God is so important. If we, if we want to receive guidance from God, this, this is made especially clear, the importance of trust by David's son Solomon in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It's a great verse to memorize if you haven't already. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Or as the King James puts it, He will direct your paths. Notice that Solomon says, you must trust in the Lord uh, half-heartedly, no, with all of your heart. And, and, And do not lean on your own understanding. This is the danger of leaning on our own understanding. You must trust the Lord instead of trusting yourself. Part of trusting the Lord, part of having a renewed mind is humility. David says in verse 9, he leads uh, the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his ways. Doesn't it make sense that humility, trust in God over self, good definition for humility, is required to receive guidance from the Lord? Because if you're not humble, if you're unwilling to admit the sinfulness, your own sinfulness, your own helplessness, If you believe you have all the answers, then why would you trust in God's guidance? You've got this already, right? Humility is a prerequisite for the renewed trusting mind. It's actually a prerequisite for salvation. You have to admit your inability to save yourself. But it continues to be a prerequisite for for life with God, to continually uh, place uh, what you think what you believe even uh, uh, under the, the truth of God and His Word. David in humility trusted in a loving, forgiving, good God. And that trust in God leads him to seek God for guidance. I want to know what, what you want me to do, Lord. I trust in you. And that brings us to our second mark of a renewed mind. A renewed mind is a seeking mind. And by seeking, I mean seeking out the Lord, seeking to know the Lord, seeking to be transformed by the Lord, and seeking guidance from the Lord. Seeking the Lord results in in speaking to the Lord, in praying. And and again, in verse 4 and 5, David seeks, David prays, make me know your paths, O Lord, teach me your paths, your ways, so sorry, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Do you pray like that? Lord, teach me. I don't, I don't know. Teach me. Instruct me. Change me. Transform me through your word, through, through, uh, through your spirit. David comes to God with his fears, his loneliness, his guilt, his confusion, and he pleads with God to give him guidance. 
This is the kind of prayer God will answer, by the way. To take away his confusion and to renew his mind so that he will know God's paths and ways and truth. Now you might be thinking, of course, uh, that's what you're to do when you're afraid and lonely and guilty and confused about God's will for your future. You seek God, you pray. But so often when faced with difficulty, I mean, just think about, you know, the last time you were struggling, is this what you did? Or did you do something else? When faced with the need to make a decision, we often uh, get caught up in the fear. We're not really as humble as we think. We forget about the Lord. We don't look at His Word. We don't seek godly counsel. We don't go to Him in prayer. We don't ask Him to renew our minds. Instead, we just do what the world does. And we, in our best efforts, make a decision on our own. Now, this may be stating the obvious, but if you want God's guidance, then you must seek, ask, pray for God's guidance. James wrote, you do not have because you do not ask. And Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. A renewed mind seeks, asks, knocks, receives from the Lord. Trusting the Lord, seeking the Lord, and receiving guidance from the Lord. But one more thing about seeking. Sometimes God calls us to seek over a long period of time. Just read about Abraham and his seeking guidance or just seeking the Lord for this child that God had promised. A long time. Sometimes the guidance does not come right away. Sometimes God does not lift our confusion. And when that takes place, what should we do? David's answer is seen in verse 21. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Do you really trust him? Are you willing to wait? I'll not give up. I'll persevere. I'll trust and wait for you. God's guidance is worth seeking, and it's worth waiting for. Don't get frustrated when guidance doesn't come. Keep trusting, keep seeking. For sometimes God's guidance is, uh, I need you to just wait. That is my guidance. I know you don't like that, but I need you to wait. That was uh, when I was with my granddaughters, that was one of the things Michael and Ashley uh, said, say to Amelia quite often, because she can kind of get, mm-hmm, she can go from cold, you know, nice, to hot in a, in a flash. But they say, uh, yes, but, you wait, but wait. Yes, you can have this ice cream, but you have to wait till after dinner. You know, yes. They want to say yes, but oftentimes, but wait. And I think God says that to us oftentimes as well. And now we come to our third mark of a renewed mind, and this is where the rubber hits the road. A renewed mind is and is proved by being an obeying mind. Verse 10, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. To keep God's covenant and His testimonies to obey the Lord does not mean sinlessness. We've already seen that God instructs sinners. So what does it mean to keep God's covenant and His testimonies? Well, I believe we find the answer just in the next two verses. Verse 11, David says, 
For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. First, keeping God's covenant means that when you sin, you go to God and you ask for forgiveness quickly. You allow the Spirit to convict your heart and you go to God. David continues. Who is the man who fears the Lord? In verse 12. Will he will be, him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. That's pretty clear, right? Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him, the man who fears the Lord, is the one that uh, I'll instruct, God says. So keeping God's covenant and his testimonies, obeying the Lord, means fearing the Lord. And what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means that you know who God is, first and foremost. Uh, Maybe back to Psalm 24. Remember what we learned right in the beginning there? He is the creator. He is the holy one. He is your, your creator. He is your owner. He owns you. There's a sense of awe and reverence towards a God who owns you. And because of that, you're, you're afraid to sin against Him. This awesome, holy God, your Lord and Master, your King of glory. And when, and when you do sin, it means you fear to not confess and, confess and ask for forgiveness. It means that you don't take God's love and mercy and forgiveness for granted. Oh, it's okay, I can do this thing, and then I'll, and then I'll ask for forgiveness, and God has to forgive me, His Word says. If, that, if those thoughts are in your mind, you have, a, you have a problem, and you don't know who God really is. You have no fear of Him. It's not that you won't sin, But those who fear the Lord do not live a life of continual sin. There's no planning for sin. There's no no sin that characterizes their life. Your life is to be characterized by obedience to the Lord. And when necessary, confession and repentance of your sin. We need to understand that God's guidance is reserved for those who follow where He guides. I know we don't, I mean, do you get that? Those who walk in obedience to Him. Imagine a man seeking God's guidance in a specific situation, okay? Lord, please tell me, who should I marry, uh, Joan or Jane? I'm so confused. They both have uh, great qualities, if you know what I mean. Lord, guide me. But at the same time, same man he's seeking, uh, who's seeking God's guidance for who to marry... He continues in certain sinful practices in his life. He's deceiving both Joan and Jane. He's not maintaining sexual purity in either relationship. He's ignoring God's clear guidance, his commands in his word, but he still wants God to guide him in this situation, this big deal for him. Well, let me say, that's crazy. God will only give guidance to those who are following the clear guidance He's already given in His Word. Let me say that again. God will only give guidance to those who are following, seeking to follow, I'm not talking about perfection, seeking to follow the clear guidance He's given in His Word. He gives guidance to those who will listen to Him and obey Him in the matters of their life. In fact, we need to understand something about God's guidance for our lives. Uh, it's not optional. Okay, if you're asking God for guidance, you better be prepared for what He says, because you have to do it. 
Receiving and obeying God's guidance is not optional. It's not optional for anyone, but certainly it's not optional for those who call themselves Christians. In fact, to be a Christian means following God's guidance. Suppose Jesus uh, walked in through the door and came up to you and said, Hello, my name is Jesus. I'm the Son of God, and I came into the world to save sinners and to give them great joy and everlasting life. By my death and resurrection, I have atoned for sin, and by my wisdom and knowledge, I can guide you into choices that will bring great joy in your life. Will you trust and obey me? And suppose you said, well, I do want to be happy. I like that idea of having my sins forgiven. I certainly don't want to go to hell, but I've looked over some of your guidance for the good life, and I just don't agree with some of your ideas about how I'm to be happy. I mean, denying myself, taking up my cross, what's up with that? So I'll accept your forgiveness, and I really appreciate it, but I think I'll go with my own thoughts on how to live. That might sound silly. But that's exactly what we're doing when we don't trust, seek, and obey the guidance of the Lord. It's an amazing thing how many people consider themselves Christians but disregard the guidance of Christ. You cannot be saved from your sin by Christ if you reject the guidance of Christ. I have this uh, illustration from when I was in high school. I would oftentimes take friends to church with me, and uh, one time I took one of my best friends and his girlfriend to church, and this was, uh, I think it was still Calvary Chapel, maybe Harvest, that's where I was going in high school, and so we went to church, and uh, I mean, you know, as always, if you know Greg Laurie, gospel preached, you know, altar call, and I looked at my friend and his girlfriend, and they Walked the aisle. They went down and prayed the prayer. And I was so excited, you know. And so uh, on the way home, uh, part of the sermon had also included some things about sexual purity. And so they started talking about that. Well, what are we going to do about that? Well, they said, well, that's one thing. We'll do everything else, but that's one thing we'll just hold on to, right? And uh, needless to say, neither one of them walked with the Lord very long. You know, it was, it was a pretty brief uh, Christian experience, if it was at all. John Piper said, Christ is an authoritative advisor as well as an atoning Savior. So if we try to receive Him as an atoning Savior and reject Him as an authoritative advisor, all we receive is an imaginary Christ while rejecting the Christ of the Bible. Write that down. Take a picture of it, something. That's a great quote. We have to understand this. Therefore, we must trust and seek and obey God's Christ guidance in every area of our lives. This includes the small, the medium, the big, the huge decisions of life. I'm not sure if it includes socks, but it includes what you watch on TV. Are you asking God's guidance? Because there isn't much to watch, I'll tell you right now, if you really are asking. What movies do you go to? What job do you take? Who do you marry or whether you're to marry? How do you spend your leisure time? Oh, that's my time. Wait, 
I'm supposed to ask God about that? Uh, yes. Where do I go to college? What do I major in? Where do I live? What kind of car do I drive? Really? He cares about that? Yes. How much to eat or not eat? How to dress? How to pray? How to read your Bible? How to give? How to serve your church? And the quote, to quote the king of Siam, etc., etc., etc. Wait, I'm, I'm going to check here. If you're under 50, do you get that? The king of Siam? Okay, we got a hand up there. You know, Yul Brenner, come on. I, I wonder if uh, sometimes my illustrations uh, fall on deaf on young ears. So anyway. But I don't know. I don't know any. I, I, this, that's what I know. Christ your Savior and Lord is concerned for every area of your life, etc., etc., everything. He knows what is best for you in every area of your life. You have to understand that. This is for your good. You know, this could sound like, oh, crud, i got to do what he wants, not what I want, only because his want is better than your want for you. And if he's your Savior, he must also be, as Piper says, your authoritative advisor. He will guide you through his word, through counsel, and through your mind that is being renewed by his word through his spirit. So let us commit not only uh, seeking to seeking God's guidance, but trusting, obeying his guidance in our lives. Would you pray with me? To you, O Lord, we lift up our souls. O God, in you we trust. Let us not be put to shame. Let not our enemies exult over us. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us. For you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all day long. Thank you, Father, for your word. Use it to renew our minds that we might know and do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, we're going to go ahead and uh, close us out with one final song, so I'll invite you to stand with me if you're able.